Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. She started helping others as a teenager when she created a special club in her garage. Now, T. Scott is helping people overcome addiction as a recovery specialist. In this episode of the Free to Be More podcast, we take a look at what's being done to break the stigma of addiction and help people move towards a path to recovery. T. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you. First of all, for people who don't know, what is a recovery specialist? What does that mean? So a peer recovery specialist is one with lived experience of either substance use, mental health, or behavioral health to include trauma and recovery. They use their lived experience to serve others in the community and navigate systems and services. Mm-hmm. Why is that peer element so integral in reaching parts of our community that need this kind of help? I believe it's because it's relatable. It's the direct relatable experience that a person has with the other person that one is serving that creates a good connection. And then oftentimes, even if the person doesn't have that personal lived experience, they can be very honest about it and then navigate them to another team member who may be able to serve them in the best way. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your lived experience and how you got here. Can you talk to me a little bit about your experience with people impacted by substance abuse, especially when you were growing up and so many people in your neighborhood that were seeing that same struggle? Sure, absolutely. My lived experience is based on loved ones, family members, and multiple relatives who are impacted by substance use treatment and recovery, because recovery is a process. Mm -hmm. In our communities, we saw many individuals, but we didn't understand exactly what was happening. And based on my lived experience from my family members, I was just interested in knowing how this recovery process and what it looked like I received my initial training from a peer recovery advocate training that was offered at a community college. I was invited to it by a community center and one I had to interview and on a panel with people with lived experience of substance use and recovery. And it was a real change moment for me. I was able to relate what my family members had went through and just listening to the panelists told me that hope and recovery was possible. And I was just charged from that moment. So I actually was not accepted the first time around because at that time I was told that I wasn't one. I wasn't an individual in recovery. And I walked away from that interview feeling disconnected. Mm-hmm. I felt like my experience was just as valuable as one who navigated the process, but I also understood there was some uh, differences. So I applied, I reapplied again. And on my second interview, I simply explained that my lived experience is valuable for individuals who watch their loved ones, their family members go through that process 
we have no voice and that's an ally. So I present myself as a person with lived experience of substance use and recovery from a family perspective and most perceive that as an ally. I think it's so interesting. I've heard you talk about, you know, when you were a child, people didn't really talk about recovery. They didn't really talk about substance abuse. It was something that kind of happened behind closed doors. How much has that changed now? Because it feels like it is something that people are talking about. We are seeing resources that are out there. Whereas when you were growing up, that was hard to find, right? Absolutely. But I'll say that it's easy for individuals to focus on the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, addiction is happening. We're well aware of it. That's plenty of loss. We're well aware of that. And even when I was young, our community members kind of focused on the problem, but there's also solutions. So what makes recovery so amazing is the fact that recovery is possible. There are options available, plenty of resources plenty individuals in our communities living and thriving in recovery. And there's no measure, there's no count on the amount of people who are here living and thriving in recovery to include my very own family members and friends. It feels like even as a child, you were doing this work. You had started a club in your garage for other kids. Tell me a little bit about that and how that started. Sure. I grew up in West Baltimore. In West Baltimore, we had one community rec. We also had a latchkey program that lasted until about five or six o'clock in the evening. And then we were charged to walk to our rec center. But there was a point in which our rec center had closed. So we just needed a space. And at that time, the city powered our garages. And I converted my garage into a clubhouse and invited people to come in. And um, I can say that I charged 25 cents to come (laughs) to the garage, but I utilized those funds to purchase snacks and juice. It was there that we kind of just sat in the garage and we shared our experiences. You know, there was even stigma and still is today around individuals who are in that situation. So just like myself, there was others, some of my friends, and some of their friends who family members or loved ones were impacted. And we just kind of hang out and it was a safe place for us to be. Mm-hmm. Was it eye-opening to you even as a teenager to find out that there were so many people that were facing some of those same struggles that you were facing and that people weren't really openly talking about? Sure. I'll mention that substance use and recovery is can be a interesting thing. But what my family did and did a great job of is shielding me from some outlook of those things. And the community also embraced me as well. But one of the things that I found interesting was it was a time in which the world was hard on crime and people were being arrested and individuals lost losing their lives. And loved ones and friends in our communities were just disappearing. You know, they may have entered treatment, they may have entered some sort of recovery process, but it was never discussed or incarceration. Mm-hmm. So to see that happen and no one speak about it, you know, out loud, that was my concern. Being a young person who didn't have, uh, at times, I felt like I didn't have a voice 
I decided to say something and stand up and really validate the fact that people are leaving us and invite people into a conversation, you know, and from that conversation, we were able to build out. And even as my own relatives, my own loved ones, my parents entered the criminal justice system themselves. Strangely, I was able to learn about recovery through incarceration. There was recovery supports behind the walls. And as my parents navigated that process, I learned more and more about recovery. And as they exited the criminal justice system and were re-entered into the community, they were still faced with some challenges, some family barriers, some stigma, some shame, and also some love. You know, there was some love in recovery, but mm-hmm. had to understand that they have went through a process and for family members like myself, like my grandparents, like our community members, there was a gap. There was no education for community members about substance use, the impact, the recovery process, and long-term recovery. It was never explained to family members and loved ones to include myself. So being here today really gives me the opportunity to provide peer support services in non-traditional places, such as libraries, Mm -hmm. (laughs) such as in the community, speaking out loud, outreach, advocacy, all of this in training to really build power and to tell individuals on a consistent basis that recovery is possible. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. The Read of Reef Book Club is back this March for kids fifth grade and under. Stop by any Pratt Library and pick up a special bookmark while supplies last. Read five aquatic-themed books and you could get four free tickets to the National Aquarium. Details at prattlibrary.org. As a child, you talk about how you know people didn't speak about that. I mean, was it this eye-opening moment when you realized that recovery was a possibility? Absolutely. It was the day that my mom actually came home. Mm-hmm. I seen the change in her. And if it took incarceration, okay, because that was her help. That was her hope. That was her entry into recovery. And then also knowing there were resources in the community that she tapped into mm-hmm. made it so amazing. She entered a recovery residence and it was there that she was able to really, really dive deep into understanding what it was. And I was curious. So I kept showing up to this recovery center trying to understand why you needed to recover somewhere else and not home. Mm-hmm. But looking into that residence and seeing women thriving in recovery was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. I went home that day and said, do you know there's women living in this house and the house has spiral stairs? I was just so amazed. <laughs> I was so amazed by it. Mm-hmm. And I was just so humble. And I gave a lot of gratitude and, and thanks for that space. We need those community healing spaces. We need more of them. Sadly, there's a disconnect for family members who don't know those resources are available. 
Mm-hmm. It's my hope in the work and the service work that I do that we can continue to message that and tell them there are healing spaces all throughout the city where loved ones and family members can get connected and invite their family members and friends for resources because we have a multitude of resources in this city. And I just want to continue to be the voice of that. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about how substance abuse was looked at as a problem in the criminal justice system. It is now more widely looked at as a public health issue. Do you feel like we are there yet where people sort of understand that addiction is a public health issue? Or do you feel like there's more work that needs to be done to pull it out of the criminal justice system and more into the idea that it is a health issue and recovery is what needs to happen rather than incarceration? So when I think about everyone kind of advances to substance abuse, which we no longer use that language in a way, mm-hmm. is have substance use because individuals need substances to take care of their primary health, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's substance misuse where people may engage in unhealthy behaviors that charge them into a substance abuse platform. Mm-hmm. And then there's addiction, you know, so there's spaces where people are and what we try to do and it happens even incarceration, is those things are intercepted, right? So if you're a person who was using substances and maybe you started misusing them and maybe you moved into a substance abuse area, this is where peer support really comes into play because we're able to meet them where they are, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they're in active addiction, even if they don't even understand that their person who is misusing, unfortunately, inactive or continued use, we're able to speak to them in a way that's with care and compassion mm-hmm. and to provide the best services based on their needs, their wants, and their desires at that time. That's what makes peer support so beautiful in its way because you have an opportunity to say no. You're not voluntold to do anything. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It may take multiple times. And unfortunately, it may be multiple arrests that happens until the light bulb comes on and the person says, yes, I'm ready to enter this process. Or if they say no, and I would continue to use, we're able to navigate them to a service that has some care and compassion with it as mm-hmm. well. And people can remain safe while they're being supported. Tell me about the history of the Maryland Peer Advisory Council. How did it start and how has it grown since it started? So the, the Maryland Peer Advisory Council started in a small room in a recovery center in the Penn North area. Mm-hmm. It started in 2012 and it was just a few of us. And it started from knowing that there was credentialing happening for the certified peer recovery specialist in the state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And we actually gathered in this space and we were so grateful to have that space because we didn't have any place to come together. Uh, from there, we needed to know 
what our options were. So we joined, we met several times, and then we decided to, we needed to be titled, right? We needed a name. We needed to let individuals know that, hey, this peer movement is happening and we want to be a part of it. So from that room, Maryland Peer Advisory Council was first called Baltimore Peer Advisory Council. And we understood that there was a statewide movement of peers happening and we needed to organize around that. So it was a young gentleman who said to us, I think you need to call it Maryland. And we were so grateful that we did that because we were able to invite all peers across the state of Maryland to this one space. And they actually showed up, you know, <laughs> you know, they actually showed up. It was old school messaging that made it happen. We really wasn't heavy into technology at that point. It was really like shoot an email, send a text, you know, invite people. We made a quick page, social media page on a free app, and we just sent it out. And when I tell you, people just started showing up. And I was like, wow, you see, it was just amazing to see. And we were able to assist and support individuals to trainings based on when they became available. We've had recovery conversations. We supported others who wanted training. We obtained a grant through OSI Institute of Baltimore. We were that way we can continue to offer trainings to individuals at no cost to include faith-based allies and community-based members. And we just continue to grow, you know, and we really listen to the needs of the community and that's how we operate. And it's peer-led and peer-ran and I wouldn't change a thing about that. Mm-hmm. Recently, you guys started a peer navigator program at the Pratt Library's Pennsylvania Avenue branch. Tell me, what is that program? How does it work? Sure. So we were invited by Councilman Zeke Cohen to a conversation around the need for support in a local library. I was just so drawn to it. I was like, yes, it's needed. Let's do it. You know, so I met with a couple members. We decided we gathered some volunteers. We brought resources into the library. It's called the Peer Navigator Program. Our program is specific just to support anyone in the library who would like to have our help. We soft engage individuals by just speaking to them. Maybe they're on the computer. Maybe they're interested in our opiate response uh, information and resources to include Narcan. We provide any linkages to services one may need. We bring a peer from all different spaces um, of recovery. We attempt to, based on the volunteer need, we also navigate them to the other resources that are available in the library, connective services. Uh, The library has social workers in the library and they also have lawyers in the library. So in an event that our services is beyond our scope of work, we're able to continue that and support people to get what they need to include families. Family members come in, they have their children. They may need family connections and support and the peer navigators are able to do that on demand. Need help finding resources for housing, food, family issues, or just need to talk? Social Worker in the Library is available at five Pratt Library locations. The Pratt also has a staff social worker available by appointment. Reach out for help today at prattlibrary.org.
why is the library a great place for the services that the peers are able to provide? I'm smiling when you said that because there's a library in almost every community throughout the city. That's number one. And then we also understand that they are the cornerstones of communities. It's a safe place. It has security. It's warm, friendly faces when you're invited in. Loads of resources, computer access, Wi-Fi, restroom, climate controlled. There's so many reasons why the library is a jewel. It's a jewel in communities. What we invite into the library is caring compassion and kindness. And we have supported the staff in so many ways. And I believe that it's important to have peers in the library because it offers the opportunity of building recovery-ready communities. And it offers the opportunity for access Mm -hmm. to a simple service that may be available in the library and the person may not be aware of it. You guys have been working out of that location for several weeks now. What kind of impact have you been able to see through that work? We see smiles. We see hope. We see connection. To date, we have serviced over 75 individuals in that library. 75. And although we're only there a few hours, you know, engagement is key. So if I'm able to engage you in a way, you may say, yes, I want a service, or no, I don't need help at that time. It's still an engagement. And what's important about that is that you let a person know that you're going to be there consistently. Like, hey, you know, remind them I'm here every week on this day and time. You can come back to see me. And we're surprised to see people actually show up. Hey, I'm here for the peer in the library. Mm -hmm. You know, they're setting appointments to meet with individuals, peers who are actually in service right now are also able to come in. They're building relationships in that community to connect the library because we can have many resources in one place, but if we're not talking to each other, um, we're doing ourselves in the community a disservice. So having that peer navigator in the library, connecting to the individuals, connecting to the staff and connecting to the community, that's what really builds strong relationships and partners with the consumers that come into the library and the constituents that are outside of the library. Is it difficult making that initial connection? You know, I mean, I guess that's what your train does as a peer to be able to sort of like go up to people in the library and just start that initial connection. So I I think it's strategic how it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, We positioned ourselves, the library was gracious enough to give us a space in the library, our very own space. So we were set up with a computer, phone, everything you need to be able to support a person. Mm -hmm. But then I saw that activity was happening in a different way. So although we have a room and a space, which is very great, I think that placing us on the top floor of the library gave us more access to the adults that were present in the library and how we engage them is important. So one, you're always cautious about personal space, like people need the personal space, right? So you don't interrupt them while they're in the process of anything that they are doing. 
you kind of engage a person as soon as they walk into the library. Maybe they're getting up from their seat. Maybe they're asking a question to um, one of the representatives at the library. And you just give a person a smile. And it's not it's not targeted outreach. I want to be very clear about that. We engage every single person that comes into the library because that takes away all the stigma. You're not being targeted because you look a certain way or you're, you know, none of that. We engage every single person. And I think it's important that the peer navigators tell individuals who they are. It's a short, quick script, you know? Hi, I'm available for any resources. You know, I'm the peer. And the person simply may say, well, what's a peer? Well, that starts a whole conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and we're able to engage and tell anyone what we do and offer resources at that time. Mm-hmm. I will say that the volunteers that we have currently have lived experience for a nice lengthy amount of time and are able to understand safety positioning, mm-hmm. language, mm-hmm. care, and compassion. And they have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do the service work that they're charged to do. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a broad question, but for someone listening to this podcast, who is this program for? Because I guess what I want to get to is I don't want someone to listen to this and think, I'm not someone who needs to be in recovery, so I don't need to engage this program. They can have family members that are suffering. So who is this program really for? Recovery is for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I would say this program can very well fit everyone. It's Mm -hmm. suited for anyone that walks into the library. We all recover from something. It does not have to be specifically substance use. You just need a bus stop resource, Mm -hmm. right? How to get from one place to the next. You may have a family member who needs service navigation in some way. You may have a child with you who may need a resource around their schooling. You know, this program is really built for anyone who walks into the library, providing that resource to helplines, information, connections, treatment, and recovery support long-term. I think it does a couple of things for anyone that enters the library to know that I have voice and choice, to know that I can be engaged in any way to provide any resource possible. And even if the peer doesn't have the resource, they're able to connect them to like major national Mm helplines. So I would say that this program truly is for anyone who enters the library. And how can, if someone's listening now and they really want to reach out to a peer, how can they reach you at the library? Like what hour, is there specific hours you guys are there? Is there a specific way they can contact or get in touch with a peer? Sure. Currently we're in the library every Tuesday from 12 until three. It started off as a pilot. And you can just walk in and from the front door, the staff will direct you to the peers in the library. We're all over the library, but mm-hmm. we have a station on the upper and lower level of the library at Penn. Mm-hmm. Just listening to you talk, I'm, I'm interested in this one question. You know, you talk about how you engage people and sometimes it's just giving them a smile or saying good morning and something like that. 
when you do that on a regular basis, isn't it heartwarming to see how much that can impact someone's day just to smile at them? It's truly a game changer. Um, And I'll give you an example. Uh, We were in the library on yesterday and the library is really monitored by the constituents who or the consumers who come into the library. Mm -hmm. And it was a person in there and she was very upset because we were making noise. And the bottom line is giving a person a smile, combating a person with kindness, changed that entire engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, that that smile, that apologetic conversation, because we apologized to mm-hmm. her because we understood that this is, this is your space, right? This space is provided to you free of charge. And as we enter the library, we should always be built with smiles. You know, and if we can put anything into our toolbox, it would be the smile. That's the first thing because <laughs> people are, you know, we're in a, a space in the world right now where that's all you need is a smile to just change the whole conversation of anything. And uh, it's truly helpful to have people who understand that and be able to provide that smile at any time. I think sometimes you never know if you're the only smile that person's going to get that day. You know, I mean, it's, it it is a game changer. It can be. No, it absolutely is. People need to know that they are seen. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I once had someone tell me that, thank you for that, because I felt invisible, you know? So if I speak to you, if I smile and you say, hello, you're seen and that can save someone's life. Mm-hmm. It really can. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know that sounds like over the top, but it's true. You know, people can sit into the library all day long and felt like they're not seen or heard. You know, we're trying to just to be a additional resource to include the staff to support those in the library. And it starts with that smile. Mm-hmm. It really does. Um, What's your hope for the future of this partnership with the library? My hope for this partnership would be, and I'm so appreciative of the partnership because sometimes things need to be evidence-based to show that they truly work. Mm -hmm. So my hope for this partnership that it evolves, that we will staff peers in the library, that they're able to expand to all branches throughout Baltimore City. Well, T. Scott, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and thank you for your time today. Thank you. Have a great day on purpose. Do your kids need help with homework and you're not quite sure where to turn? The Pratt has free life online tutoring. Expert online tutors are available starting at 1 p.m. every day. You can also have your student's paper reviewed in the online writing lab. All you need is a Pratt Library card. Details at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.